Hello, and welcome to Why Are We Talking About Rabbits? I'm John Hears. This is our podcast brought to you from First Things Foundation, where we do heavy things lightly, and today we talk to Jonathan Peugeot. Uh, he runs Symbolic World. He's an artist. Check him out. Thanks for tuning in to episode 31 on Watar. Why are we talking about rabbits? We, uh, welcome to the show. This is episode 31, and we're doing an interview with Jonathan Pajot. So I could do, Jonathan, welcome. How are you? Yeah, it's great to it's great to, to we met a, a little bit before and some yeah. email exchanges so it's wonderful to see you healthy and back on track uh jonathan and i were scheduled to do this show uh right when i got covid which i think i've mentioned on a previous pod and basically what happened was is i tried but i jonathan and i was hooking up you know the apparatus and i felt sick and dizzy and i was like i, I could see it in your eyes that you just weren't you know no, that was right in the throes of it. So we rescheduled. Uh, you're here. Um, I think a lot of folks who come and listen to our podcast will know you. I think some won't. So I, I, I went to go do a bio, and I realized, man, this brother's got... Uh, I want you to do your bio. I see you fundamentally as a teacher. And here's what I mean. I think what happened is your artistry has just broken out of you. And, and it's like a sweat in my mind. And what's happening is, is your, your theory on art is in fact what you're teaching us. And the theory on art is tied into, I think what we talk about on the show is old world, new world. So am I crazy? Is there something like that going on? It's, I guess it's a good, it's hard to really, I've never felt like I needed to pin down what I was doing or who I was. I think that I, I have a, a love for, I've had this developed a love for pattern, you know, and, uh, and, and seeing kind of the patterns unfurl in front of me and kind of enjoying and, and uh, rejoicing in seeing the order of the world. And so that happens in the way that I produce icon, you know, icon carvings, but it also, mm-hmm. like you say, kind of bubbles out and becomes this, this participation or this rejoicing in the patterns in scripture and in the patterns mm-hmm. I see in the world and how the story of Christ kind of, uh, has permeated all of culture and how it's easy to it's help it i find joy in kind of pointing out to people you know that that this story is just everywhere and you can't you can't avoid it you know so we have this our construct on the show comes from our experiences so i like to call it in line with reality we're we're not ideologuing or whatever gnosticizing i'm making up words but our experience as a nonprofit working overseas in this Peace Corps model, what happens is, is we experience something like a new, uh, an old world. Mm. And then we experience the new world that we carry over in our souls or minds or bodies. And it's a real divide. I wonder if that's a real divide in your mind and your soul. Do you see something that shifted and that now we're in something new as opposed to the old. Is that even a thing? How would, would, would you? I think so. I think it's a good, it's a proper way to understand it. There is, there has been, the way to understand that there's an old world and there's a new world is to the extent to which people look at the old world or look at medieval art or medieval stories or medieval world and can't make heads or tails of it, mm-hmm. have no idea what they're looking at. 
you know, they, they, they think they're just looking at a bunch of crazy people that must have been insane because how mm. could they produce such images, such stories, such, such legends? And so because of that, you know, you get the arrogance of the Enlightenment and the arrogance of the new atheist types who look at everything before them as this kind of, this kind of stupid superstition. The entire right. world before me were just a bunch of idiots because I look at what they're saying and I look at what they're doing and I can't understand it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that is a testimony to the fact that there definitely is uh, something that happened, a break, a shift. Whereas when you, when you go overseas or you go to more traditional societies and you encounter people, you realize that they have something in common. There's something yes. in common about the capacity to, to, to view uh, the spiritual world as being embodied in, in yes. reality and seeing how these things, and they have their different ways of talking about it or, or describing it. But for them, it's a completely natural moment. Mm. Yes. And I had a funny moment one time when I was in Haiti, actually. I was in Haiti and I was talking to a bunch of, icon, uh, a bunch of carvers and I was helping them out because I, I work with artisans overseas. And, uh, and they were kind of talking and talking. And then all of a sudden I said that I was Orthodox and they looked at each other and then they started talking and they were saying things amongst themselves. And, uh, and then I kind of, kind of hinted at the fact that I, I, I could understand what they were saying. They looked at each other and they said, oh, the Orthodox, they have a bit of the mystical vision. Uh, and you can realize uh, that what they were saying to each other was usually when I'm with a white person, we don't talk about this stuff because they don't understand it. They, they, uh, they don't, they have no sense of what uh, we're discussing, but all of a sudden they had this weird hint that maybe this guy has a little bit of a glimpse into, into the notion that there's this connection between the spiritual world and the, you know, the embodied world. So, oh, so, so Jonathan, uh, I took my family, uh, we had three daughters at the time. We were Orthodox Christian missionaries in Haiti. Oh, wow. And, and I know it, it's super reality what you're saying. And you know where it was manifest in their understanding of icon. So the Protestant missionaries there had struggled it, with our icons in our house. So, you know, we're foreigners and they come walking into our house and they're very taken aback by the fact that we had icons. And they kept saying, why did you adopt the pagan traditions? And I was it's like, hilarious. whoa, because we had done the Serbian tradition of, um, I think more, but for sure the Serbs do this where they take a candle and burn a cross just over the, over the door, over the entrance, all the entrance ways, just as, you know, a blessing. <laughs> and they saw that and boo, like, voodoo, voodoo. Oh, oh, we had it. But you're right. It was. It was. It was. We could meet on a different uh, um, level. It's a. It can be a scary world, though, because. So talk. Talk to us about what the new world in your mind or in your work. What did it do to the mind, the way we think, or perhaps even better, to art? Like what? What happened? I, I try not to say it's a bad happening. That it was a bad thing, but. We'll leave the the value judgment out of it for a minute. But what happened in, in as you see it in terms of the mind and and then culture? Well, the way that I understand, let's say, this new world or the development of this new world or the development of the modern world is, I see it as a form of uh, of deincarnation, as a form of uh, it's it's kind of like a breakdown of Christianity. And I think it's part of the story. I think it has to happen. It's part of the scandal that Christ talked about. And, and so I don't, you know, I'm annoyed with it because I'm in it and I have to deal with the consequences of it. But I also think that it's part of the story. And the way that I see it is that it's as if the two, if, if, if in Christ the invisible and the visible were joined, and if in Christ 
that became explicit, like the notion of the invisible and the visible joined together in one person perfectly, you know, with all the ways that we tried to describe it, you know, in the councils. Then it also, it seemed to have opened up a, a possibility that now that we know about these, now that we have clear formulations about two natures and about all this stuff, mm-hmm. then it's at some point in, in the late Middle Ages, you know, in the early modern period, it started to split apart. Mm-hmm. And then what you ended up seeing is you ended up seeing uh, descriptions of God would became more and more removed from reality, you know, leading up mm-hmm. to deism, where mm-hmm. this idea is that God is basically so outside the world that he's actually arbitrary. It's completely arbitrary. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no connection between God and the, and the way that the world, you know, lays itself out or a stranger version, which is the idea that God is basically just like a super being with a lot of powers, you know? And so right. it's like, he's right. basically like a, I always like the Marvel comics version of God, right? He's like yeah. this super being with a lot of really, really powerful. And, and that's usually the God that these, the new atheist types like to attack because some people do really believe in a God like that. It's like, it's like, how can God listen to all the prayers of all the world? Because, you know, how would, what kind of brain would he have to process all the prayers of the <laughs> right. entire cosmos, right? right? It's like, that's not possible. It's not scientifically possible. That kind of nonsense. And so those are the two extremes. One of them gave, gave form to idealisms and, um, and kind of abstraction. And the other gave form to brute materialism. And, uh, and so it yeah. afforded us some power. Like it afforded us real power, which is the development of extremely subtle uh, theories of mathematics, extremely subtle theories mm-hmm. of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the notion of algorithms, all these patterns that people are, that the, the, the scientists are able to perceive, and also a force in the world to create mm-hmm. technologies, to create medicine, to create all of this. So it afforded us a power, but because of the deincarnation, then it also leads us astray and leads to fragmentation. Yeah. It leads to the breakdown, you know, the social breakdowns that we see, and then the clampdowns, which are the reaction. So you have a breakdown, things start to break down. People notice that there's nothing, there's things aren't holding us together. And now what we want to do is we want to overcompensate by creating systems of control. So you have totalitarian states coming together at the same time as you have this kind of crazy excesses of uh, passions and excessive. So you you have the roaring 20s and then you have, the Nazi Germans. You have right. these ex- excesses which start to manifest the, themselves. Uh, is that what you see when you see, in, uh, you're in Canada, but you see in our country that there's people marching into the... Ca- I don't see blue and red there or right and left. I see people trying to put together, put back together a world that they know is coming apart in their bellies. They know it in their gut. Do you see it? Is that I say I hear I think that's the right, exactly the right way to understand it is that as we've moved away from the thing that unites us as we you know as we've and you can see like you, the idea that it's like one nation under God is actually a very late statement you know in yeah, the, in that's the right. sto- story of of America but you you notice that the reason why it was put there was almost like to say we're noticing that we're not a nation under God anymore. Oh, that's interesting. So we have to say it, like we have to, we have to say it so that it stays true for a while at least, and then that leads to the other opposite, wow. which is it's like no, we we know we're, we we can't be we can't put religion into the state, and so all of this, it's it's always like a, it's always like a move between yes. a breakdown and an overcompensation, and so that's what we're seeing right now is that you have two sides. One side, which wants to affirm nation identity, 
you know, and, and this closed borders, all of this mm-hmm, type of talk. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then you have another side, which is basically saying identity is evil. You know, any form of identity is evil. Yeah. It's all about multiplicity. It's all about the outside is better than the inside. Right. The, the stranger is better than right. the, the national. So it's like these two, it really is these two extremes. And so they can't, there's no way for them to come together. And then both of them can't see the other. They can't see, they can only see the sins of the other person. Yes. They can't see yes. the, 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 let's say the value in the discourse of the other. And so when the left is violent, it doesn't see it. And when the right is violent, it's, it's, it's so they only see the violence of the right and the right tends to see the violence of the left. So you can have you can have an autonomous zone in Seattle for months, but when the right attacks a federal building, it's like, oh my God, it's the end of the world. It's like I, what, this has been happening since March. This whole this has been going on for months and months. But it's like, so there's this weird weird incapability of seeing uh, and seeing the other side. Yeah. That's a dangerous place. Dangerous. Sarah from Rose talks. He's, I mean, he's not addressing politics as much as the spiritual life, but he talks about a bridge that once you cross over, it burns behind you in the sense that there's no framework to see the other. We, it's not that I can't. There's no framework <clears throat> for me to understand what they're talking about because basically everything has become Nietzschean personal politics, you know? Everything's just become, what, how does that serve me? And I find it really fascinating that, that in the end, I don't know how it stopped. Like, I don't know how it fixes itself. And I have a feeling you don't think it does. I don't think it's going to fix itself. I I think that one of, I think at least for people who struggle to see it, the best way is to try to see it in yourself because we have that same problem in ourselves. It's like, think of the times where you've sinned or the times that you've, you know, you've binged a cake or you've done some, some, you Mm -hmm. get, you've given into a passion somehow. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it's like, as soon as that's finished and then you look at yourself and you, you don't recognize the person, you're like, who is that person who did that? Like if, or you lie and you lie and then you catch yourself lying. And five minutes later, you're like, what, what? Like, what did I do? Like, who is that person who lied? And you have no way to see that person. And that person that's lying also doesn't have a way to see the person that wakes up and wants to confess the sin, right? It's like those two people in you are kind of fragmented and broken. Ultimately, the work of the spiritual life and the work of Christ and the work of, of the church is to be able to reconcile these fragmented pieces of us, you know, into one person, you know, in the image of Christ. So, Talk about reconciliation. It's a little bit of a twist. In your work on your podcast, you're talking to a lot of non-Orthodox Christian people. I mean, you have a you know sizable audience. We deal with this too. What do you do with the vocab? How do you, how do you manage the vocab? Because what I find in modern people is is there's a place you go with certain words, you shut everything down. Yeah. I really, what led me to your your show was you did this thing that I feel like I've always been trying to do in, in my classrooms and now with the foundation, and, and I loved it. You're both and. Is there a reconciliation process you had to go through? Do you, did you have to decide what you're doing in terms of that space and your faith? Well, I think it's weird because I didn't really decide to do this, like this whole thing, okay, <laughs> this whole YouTube yeah, thing. Yeah. I was kind of thrust into it in a strange way. You know, I, I, but I, I feel like when it happened, in a way, I had been mentally, I realized that I, I was often mentally playing a mental game with myself where I would always ask, 
I was trying to explain something to someone who, who doesn't believe in God at all. It's like, how can I say this in a way that someone who has no idea about Christianity could even know what I'm talking about, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think that I had kind of done this weird, these weird mental gymnastics to try to find ways to talk about it. And, um, and it seems like it has that, like it has some connection. And so there is, and it's also, I think the reconciliation in you is important in the sense that one of the problems we have when we're inside the church is that at some point we have this vocabulary, this kind of self-referential vocabulary. And sometimes it can actually make you feel like you know what you're talking about, but you don't. It's just because all these words fit together in a nice, in a nice way. And you can just quote this father and use phrases that you've heard the priest say and everything. And so you actually don't know what you're referring to. And so one of the things that I was always trying to do is to say, what is this talking about? Like, what is deification? What are we talking about? What is, you know, what are the passions? What are the, what are, what is all, what is noetic? Like all these words that we use that are, Mm -hmm. that are very technical, trying to try to find a way. It's like, if I can't explain it to an atheist, then it doesn't mean anything to me. Like if I can't, because it's supposed to be about our experience, right? It's supposed to be about the real experience of the world, not some theoreticals, just theological thing. This is the teaching part of you that I just, I'm thankful for, and and I'll tell you, so in the classroom, really, that's what's taking place all the time. And then, so my experience figuring this out, my very first experience was in Peace Corps, living in Mali. What you just talked about, reconciliation, was is how do I actually meet folks that are using a different cultural apparatus language? What do I do? Because we're actually experiencing the same thing. In Mali, we really were on the same wavelength, but there were all these barriers. And I feel like in our country, we, we Christians, Orthodox folks, we have to remember this. There's something empathetic and beautiful about remembering it, but not trying to curate it so much that we're not being real and that space is really difficult to get right in there and i find it's about relationship so i bring a guy in our show who's the bluest cat you've ever met i mean he he's just a nietzschean liberal love him he's an atheist in variation he's called uncle seth and he comes on and he just rips he just lets it go <laughs> and but he's literally an uncle to my kids they love him i love him and everything and then when it's all over you know what stands in the rubble is the two of us somehow I, we need that can you feel it in canada too can you feel it ripping apart in canada or is this an american gig going on this this now, the thing about canada is the thing about canada is that the cultural war is over and so it's not uh, that it's not just so it feels more peaceful because basically Christians have conceded every point, every single point, like they've just conceded everything. And so because they've conceded everything, then there's no struggle. And and so it can feel almost like there's no problem. But it's not that there's no problem. It's that we've had weird moves that have gone almost unnoticed of removing uh, the removing male uh, like father and mother from the law. So we've had these weird moves in Ontario where they they people actually did that, and you know it barely went noticed in the media because there's no there's no there's no discussion in the culture. It's just basically the plan is is moving along, and so we're going <laughs> towards something, uh, and there's no resistance. So it's not necessarily better. It's it can be better in the immediate term because because it, it there you you can't see the conflict, but you know it's like. You don't have a conflict if you let yourself go to your passions either. Like if you if you give in to your passions all the time, 
you're not going to have an inner conflict. You're just going to keep sinking down right. into this thing. Uh, and so it's not necessarily better. It, it just, it, there's less conflict, at least overt conflict, at least. So tell our audience real quick, you and Jordan Peterson had a, had a collective moment. You, you saw yourself saying some of the same things. And you know him, right, personally? Yes. Yeah, so, well, we met, uh, we met a little bit, like about a year before he became famous. And so he kind of thrust, he kind of put me out there. It was a very strange moment, uh, you know, but it didn't last that long. A lot of people still want to really connect me with Jordan Peterson, but it would, it lasted basically like a year and a half. And then he became so famous that I, you know, that I, I couldn't. Sure. Did it get dismissed in Canada, that conversation that he was trying to, to have? Well, he didn't, he didn't. I mean, the law got passed, like in terms of the whole problem of, of enforced speech and all that, he definitely didn't succeed. It just, everything just kind of happened. Mm -hmm. I think that he definitely has a, he definitely has people who listen to him in English speaking Canada. He, you know, he did part of his book tour was here in Canada and he, he was quite successful. So he has the same crowd there, uh, here as in the U S it's just that, um, let's say in Canada the we have state run media, mostly we don't have, you know, it's like for all the problem of having something like CNN and Fox News, mm -hmm. at least there's some space for 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 distinction. Mm -hmm. Whereas here we just have CBC basically, and there's a little bit like you know there's a few publications that are that aren't completely on board, but it's it's not as there isn't as strong. So okay, so go go back with me for a second to uh, symbolism and uh, you know the artistry uh, in Africa where I spent a lot of time. Uh, it's not that hard to explain this, but in America, it's difficult. Why do you think symbolic thinking is so difficult um, for us? Because it could be seen as weird. You're talking about goats and horns. and Why, why is it difficult? Well, it well, I think one of the things that makes it difficult for sure is that we're, we're very far into the garments of skin, you could say. Mm -hmm. which is that we're kind of far away from the more primordial perceptions. And so we, we, we've, we live in a, a padded technological world where, you know, you could not notice that the sun is going up and going down barely. Like you, you don't, you don't live outside. You don't have, you don't experience the cycle of, uh, of the seasons as much mm -hmm. as a person in an, in, in an older culture would. And so a lot of the symbolism is, is connected to these more primordial perceptions up, down, you know, uh, this idea of light, dark, mm -hmm. and the cycle of light and dark with the procession of the, of the, of the equinoxes. And, the, you know, all of this is, is something that you perceive when you kind of live in the natural world. So because yeah, we yeah. were so padded, it's difficult, it's more difficult for us to, to perceive that these patterns are everywhere. But it's also just because of a very long process of the mythologization that has happened, you know, in the modern world. And even within Christianity, as mm -hmm. Christians embraced scientism without maybe even realizing thinking that they're helping their cause by trying to defend the scripture in terms of of scientific theories and trying to find science in genesis one and all that stuff it's like they thought they were defending scripture when in fact they were basically raising up this weird scientistic yes. thinking because of that they 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 don't a lot of people even are even find it threatening that there are patterns in stories like if you if you try to show them that the story, let's say that the story of Moses crossing the the, the Red Sea mm -hmm. is very is the same is the same story as Noah crossing the flood, and that it has the same pattern, it's like no 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 it can't because 
it, it, it happened, right? It, there you events, go. Events don't have patterns. Events are arbitrary. And then patterns come on top as this thing that's added. But that the symbolic thinking obviously says that, no, the world lays itself out in patterns. And it's normal that you will find patterns in stories. And you all, it's normal you'll find those same patterns in reality. In your everyday life, the same patterns will be there. You know, maybe not as concise as in the stories, but they'll still be there. But one doesn't cancel out the other. See, this is the par- the notion of truth and paradox. I think we lost. This is one of the great questions. I really want to hear what you say. This is not on my list either. This one is really brutal. So many good people, I don't know what political persuasion they're in, want something like a return. And so many good people in the Orthodox tradition in America, I'm talking about American Orthodox now, they want something like a return to what we were. And I always just want to go, but weren't we always, now here's the language, I don't want to offend anybody, weren't we always a heretical country? Weren't we always Protestants? And so for the Americans, it's a really, really confusing question because I really don't want to recapture and regain the thing that in some ways is what you just described as the destroyer of the mystical nature of Christianity. So what do, what do we do? And first of all, was I too hard on the Protestant tradition? No, but I think, I think that it's, these are, these are the hard questions. These are definitely the hard questions. That is that I think that as kind of traditional Christians, it's very hard to say that we want to be constitutionalist or that kind of stuff like you hear people talk about, because America was founded on a revolt against the king, founded on on enlightenment ideals, which are this idea that we declare these truths to be self-evident. It's like none of these truths are self-evident without God. Like the, the, a lot of these things you're saying are not that obvious and and as self-evident as you think if you don't have this this hierarchy of being as part of your part of the way you understand the world. And so I agree that that in a way the United States is kind of like the last kingdom or you know the, this kingdom of the edge or the kingdom of the end or something oh, away like something that. like mm-hmm. that you know mm-hmm. kind of democracy before before the fall but at the same time it it has something which is i think in american culture will also appear the seed of the new world i think that that's going to there's something inevitable about that i always i like to use california as a kind of microcosm where it's like california has all the worst things in the United States, like all the most degenerate, worst, decadent things are all in California. But if you go up in those mountains, you'll find some of the most powerful yeah. monasteries and you'll probably find weird ascetics living in caves that praying all day. And so it's like it has everything. So it also has it has the end, but it also has seeds for a new beginning, maybe, or a new revival or a renewal. So in that sense, do you fear more or welcome more postmodernism or, or you know? the new the new way of thinking that allows i mean i just did a podcast on priestesses apparently that was a big conversation in 2018 on the internet <laughs> oh no priestesses are everywhere so so that's i call that some type of postmodern eruption right and so do i think of postmodernism do, i think postmodernism you, is useful in the to the extent that it's useful and it's it's horrible and dangerous to the extent that it is in the sense that so, postmodernism is has strength because it breaks down the certainty of atheistic kind of enlightenment, uh, let's say the end of enlightenment kind of atheistic certainty, and it right. breaks that, and it, it really does. Uh, it also, it helps, it creates a space where suddenly we can talk about 
I can talk about symbolism and people can even know what I'm talking yeah, about. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I think yeah. 60 years ago, 70 years ago, the things I say, I said would not even, people would not even had hooks in their mind to put it. Like they wouldn't have a place in their yeah. experience to place the things I'm talking about. Whereas yeah. postmodernism has afforded that. Yeah. I love that. Here's an idea. First things foundation. It does aid. We aid people. I hate this concept. Okay. But I want to hear from a symbolic thinker and someone, I, uh, an Orthodox brother, but I, just a person who's made some sense out of all this. Our concept is, is that aid is for you. So when Jonathan Pajot goes down to the food bank, it's for you. And here's why. It's because when you go down, if it's a sacrifice of some sort, in other words, if you're going into the ground in some ways as a seed, What's happening is, is you're being reborn through the process of aid. And so we can't lose track of that. And, and so our whole model is that you're not really going to aid somebody else unless you're in some sort of modus of, of I don't like, the, suffering is the word for an Orthodox Christian. For I think a modern person, like, I don't really get it. You, you whip yourself or something. But what you have to do, so we go and live right alongside everybody who supposedly is suffering. And then we live just like they're doing. And then we spend two years. Nobody wants to do this, Jonathan. <laughs> Nobody wants to go do this. But what happens is when you come out the other side, what you did is probably a project or five or 10. But what you really did is you, you did this thing, like Kant talks about glasses. You really stripped off a pair of glasses that you thought you had on and you become somebody new. And then that is also an outcome of aid. Hmm. And it should be. And where a project doesn't have that happening, and I again, I pick on some people, but it, I love people who want to help. But if you're taking a bunch of kids for a weekend to a foreign country and they're putting up a wall and then they're flying back home, there's no, there's no down in that. So, so they can't come up. So is, am I crazy? Can you speak to this? Concept? No, I agree. You know, when, when, when I, I spent seven years in, in Africa and uh, I work with Mennonites, actually. So I work with Mennonite Central Committee. And the reason why I worked with Mennonites was because exactly of that perception that they had. Like they had a very similar perception to what you're talking about. We lived, so we had no salary. We had uh, mm -hmm. a stipend and we lived in local neighborhoods. You know, we were the only white people in our neighborhood for years. And so, and, and so, and you, and also they say, they basically tell us for the first six months, you actually don't do anything. What? You just learn you the language. Me? You learn That's the language. You figure out like where you are, build a community, build relationships. And then after an, a, a several months, like it, it's obviously flexible, but after sure. several months, then you actually put your foot out and start to see if there are some things you can connect together. Um, and that has been really like for us, it was amazing because all that time, like you said, the first few months, you you have the time to break down your, your prejudice, break right. the prejudice you didn't even know you had, right. break down the you know, the, your comfort zone, break down all of that so that when you finally have friends and a community and a little bit of connection, uh, and you've also been able to discern the people who are just sharks, who are just want to get something from you, you start to kind of find your way to see pearls and people of value and people who are, are sincere. Um, and then like the project we built in, in Congo, uh, you know, uh, since until COVID, I don't know if it's still going to continue, but until COVID, it was still going. And this was like, and this is 15 years after we're gone. And it was yeah. just run by local people doing their own thing. It's just right. because we had just, and it was, it's not a tribute to us. It was a tribute to yeah. 
the time that we spent to just figure out like, Hey, this is a really good person. And like, I'm going to invest in this person. And then the, like you said, you, you put the seed in the right uh, earth and then it just grows on its own, you know? So you saw that. That's fantastic. I didn't even know we were doing the Mennonite thing. We were talking about Cyril and Methodius when we got very first started with this. That's fascinating. I didn't even know. Well, that. Cyril and Methodius are a great example of exactly that because they basically listened and, and paid attention and then offered to offer, offered to the Slavs something which was both theirs, like both the Slavs, but also uh, added value to what the Slavs already had. Right. It was like, we're going to give you a written language, yeah. you know, in your own language. And yeah. it's like, you can now use this, not just for liturgy. This yeah. has a whole lot of other applications, like this very powerful thing that they offered. And, uh, and so I think that that's a, I think that's a great example. Yeah. Using serial. We, we, we thought about that. And, you know, we also thought about, and I'm sure I've heard you talk about this on your show, actually, you know, one reason America is great or has been whatever that is, is that there's all this new blood, right? There's all these immigrants that come in, they come from the outside, inside. And I always think how it would be very odd for the immigrants who've just landed to start to tell people <laughs> how to do stuff. <laughs> Isn't that odd? Could you imagine, you know, the Latin American immigrant just coming in and started pointing to everybody how to do it's It's insanity. But I do think it's part of why we're, we were uh, healthy, at least economically, as we allowed the outside in. And but we don't do it so well going the other way in United States history. We tend to not settle, but tell. We tend to not listen, but but speak. So yeah, and in a way, like communion is a, probably a better way to understand it, in the sense that when you like, if I go to Africa, it, it's like if I go to Congo, for example, that's where we went most of the time. We were in Kenya as well, but like especially in Congo. It's obvious that there's a massive difference and there's definitely something that I have that can be added value to the people who are there. And there's something that they have that is definitely going to be an added value to me. And so in that relationship, there's like this mutual learning and this mutual yeah. exchange, which I think, and it's also because, because the reality is that I'm coming from a place where that has more resources in terms of money. Like, in terms of the rich being a rich and giving to the poor. So that's a reality which, which, which we don't want to, we can't ignore. And so coming in as a rich person and then being in communion with people who, are, who have more poverty and trying to find ways to be able to plant seeds so that they grow, not just dropping money on people or, you know, or, or also thinking that the fact that I have money means that I can tell everybody what to do, but rather trying to find points of communion where my resources and your potential are going to create something awesome, right? If you yeah. only, it's like you meet someone and you know, right? You meet someone and you're like, if this guy or this woman this had it. resources, they it. would knock it out of the park this and you it. just see it. And you see the other person who's like, oh, this guy just wants, he just thinks that he just wants money or just wants, he thinks that it's, that's all that counts. But you see someone who's already doing something who's like, you know, hustling and really trying to make things work. It's, it's, it's like a pillar in their community. And you think, wow, that person had resources. They would just. We have a name for those cats. We call them impresarios. It, and really what our job is to hunt them and find them. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> awesome. That's exactly, I totally agree with that. Like then, all you do is try to find good people and then yeah. the rest is going gonna, gonna to happen. So we just started doing this in Appalachia. I don't want to talk about it. I want to ask you one more question, but I, <laughs> I got to tell you, in Appalachia, you know, in America, Appalachia has tended to be one of the poverty zones throughout history. 
so we started to do this in the states in the last year, and um, the angle, the angles, exactly. I, you can't really say this in Appalachian. <laughs> hey, this is just like Africa. Nobody really wants to hear that because of all the other historical undertones involved, racism and other things. But the, my point is not really to say that they're the similar cultures, obviously, but the angles. They're all the same angles. They're out in angles like you talk about. There's inside community, outside community. There's distrust and trust issue. It's fascinating. It's the same. A little bit harder because you're so clearly an outsider in Africa, you know, um, but same angles, same angles. So Interesting. Good, I, I, I think it's awesome ask- you're doing it in the U.S. too. I think because there is a, there's a weird perception sometimes where it's like, I'm going to go help those people in foreign countries that need help. But it's like, there are people in the U S like you said, that have some of the, some of the same difficulties that you can find, you know, in war torn countries or, you know, paralyzed by, by years of, of dictatorship or whatever it is, even though that's not the case in the U S there are certain dysfunctions in certain communities that are, that have been kind of generational. And so that, that can be that, that you can help find the right, like you said, the sparks that are there and just kind of feed, feed those sparks. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's where we are. We're trying, you know, we're trying to grow. But uh, above all, all of these experiences have led me and, and you know, I was basically converted to Christian orthodoxy by Muslims. It's a long story. But but they're, they're, it's patterns, again, their pattern of life matched their words. Now, don't get me wrong, this doesn't mean they're all pious and, you know, close to Allah. But they did what they said they would do on Friday. <laughs> and then they lived like that on Saturday, and then Sunday they did their five prayers. There was this, and I was just a young guy, and I was like, what is this? And what I realized is my Christianity on any given week was really strong on Sunday at the, you know, listening to the lecture, to the homily, and then I kind of forgot about it and made sure I would, you know, had a good full bank account and was going to college, and then I would go to church again. It, there was no connection. It wasn't an integrated pattern, and when I came back from from Africa, I said, do Christians integrate? Where are those Christians? <laughs> so I went to a Franciscan monastery and I spent a week and it's like, okay, this is cool. And then a, let's put it this way. I met a woman, an Ethiopian woman who said, meet me at church. It happened to be a Russian church. I walked in, got yelled at by a yaya and loved it. Cause yeah. she was like, stand up. I didn't know Jonathan. I was sitting down as the lit, as the Eucharist came out. Like, oh my, yeah. She was like, what are you doing in Russian yelling at me? And I was like, this lady yelled at me. I talked to the priest. The priest said, yeah, we stand up before God. I was like, yeah, we should. <laughs> do, do this for me in, in, in two seconds. Um, when you're pressed to try to give answers to folks outside of the Orthodox community, and you're pressed to try to understand, you know, um, who am I to them? How do you how do you prepare the, the the conversation in a way that maybe it invites people in to the symbolism? Do you consciously think about this, or is it in the end something that really it, it's coming out of you now through your reading? And here's one more: and who do you love to read, and who brought you into this type of thinking in terms of books or teachers or? Yeah. Um. Well, I think that. I, I definitely do think about it. Like I definitely think about it because I'm constantly faced with this world, you know, and I also went through the frustration in college of uh, not knowing what to say. <laughs> and so I, 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 had, I remember I have a very distinct memory once where uh, 
I had just finished college and I was, I was living in a, I was living with a friend in an apartment and, and he had, he had a, a friend who was like postmodern, you know, activist, really, really just like a cliche of this like type of person. that's like really kind of angry, but, but she was a great person. Like she, I, I really liked talking to her and she of all people came to me one day and she said, I'm teaching this class. And there's this young guy who grew up Catholic who now is discovering science And he wants to completely reject everything he was taught. And he's saying how stupid Jesus and Mary is and all this is all stupid. And he said, it's it's, it's science, it's science, it's science, it's science. And she asked me, she said, what should I tell this guy? Like, what should I answer? She knew I was a Christian, you know, and I had no answer. I had no answer for her. And I just looked at her blankly. And I think I pointed her to some creationist thing or whatever. And this was like when I was 19 or something. And that memory, and I remember that feeling of being there and her like sincerely saying, I don't want this person, you know, even despite her own desire to kind of, this kind of activist desire, she could see that this person, she didn't want him to throw everything away. She's like, she needs a way to reconcile himself with what he grew up with. And she was, she was there sincerely asking me this. And all I could say was, I, I don't know, I don't know. And so it's like, since one of, that's one of those moments where after that, I was like, that that can never happen again. <laughs> can can never happen again. Um, and uh, and then it was, but it was really like what got me to thinking this way was actually partly the postmodern theorists. Uh, I was reading uh, Roland Barthes, who's a, who's kind of like a late Marxist uh, thinker. He wrote a book called Mythologies, where mm-hmm. he talks about patterns in social behavior and how social manifestations use mythological patterns. But he was doing it to criticize it from like a Marxist perspective. But I was reading and I was like, wow, this is awesome. These (laughs) patterns that he's describing are really wonderful. And I saw the same with Jacques Derrida. Like Jacques Derrida was using uh, kind of pattern thinking. Mm -hmm. And so it was weird. It kind of broke my my materialism. Um, And then I I went more towards more traditional traditional authors. Like I I read uh, a traditionalist. His name is René Guénon. People might know about him. I know him. Yeah, in, in the 20s in my 20s. And that was really helpful for me to break my modern, the hold of the modern world. Like it just, sh- it shattered it. And there was no turning back after reading The Christ of the Modern World. And then I started to look more towards the Church Fathers and St. Gregory of Nyssa, St. Ephraim the Syrian, St. Maximus the Confessor. Those are my key, key the- theologians for symbolic thinking. When you read the hymns of paradise or you read St. Ephraim's uh, hymns in general, you find analogical and typological uh, discussion there, like thinking that is so powerful, you know. Um, and applicable and, today if you exactly. can tease it, right? You yeah, to- you need to tease it out. And, mm-hmm. I, and I've noticed that too, but that sometimes I talk about St. Ephraim or St. Or, uh, Gregory and the people tell me I read the book, but I can't. Like I can't get what you're saying out of it. And mm-hmm. so, so I realized there is some work to do. And so, you know, I, I do like, so I have put out a few lectures where I try to say, okay, here's, here's yeah. the hymns of, of yeah. paradise. And I'm going to try to help you understand what this means for today and what it means for the questions that are being asked. But uh, did you ever so those read- are the, the thinkers. And my brother, by the way, that's really important. I need to mention a lot of this was done in collaboration with my brother. Oh yeah. He's something. He didn't become Orthodox, but who is symbolic thinker, just, you know, an amazing symbolic thinker. And he, he wrote a book recently on symbolism that is just, that's hard to beat in terms of kind of symbolic thinking. That book inspired one of our guys who was uh, working in the field, Daniel Paternos, to write an article for, for you guys. It's a great, book, wonderful article. 
Yeah, and your brother did that though. It lit him on fire, man. He has not stopped talking about your brother's book, <laughs> which is oh, the language I, of creation for people who are watching. It's yes. definitely worth a read. Yeah, thank you for that. So I, I real quick, and then I'm going to finish up. But uh, Philip Sherrard did much of that bridge work for me. Uh, uh, Rape of Man in Nature, or um, the Eclipse of Man in Nature. They changed it in some of the um, editions. Uh, Sarah from Rose, but Philip Sherrard actually inspired not only the First Thing stuff, but even this podcast, because that book, what he does, what he explains in terms of history and and really the, the how this was it for me, and you just described it, is how theology is real. Yeah. <laughs> it's real. Like, it actually matters what's being said, and he shows how it's united in history in terms of the manifest, like, physical form, and that, whoa, that flipped me. Yeah, I and, but the thing that's it's we're in a great moment right now. It's it's actually a really exciting moment because a lot of people are perceiving that, and and a lot of the questions that are being asked in the different fields, even the scientific field, the philosophical field, are all related to the problem of how intelligence or how they use the word right. consciousness, whatever, right. how consciousness is, how consciousness participates in the way reality lays itself out. And it's like they've hit a wall with scientism. And now they realize that intelligence is actually part of how reality exists. And so, but they don't know how to place it yet. They have all yeah. these different theories. They yeah. have different theories of emergence. They have different theories. Like uh, there's a sci uh, mathematician named Don Hoffman who's trying to reformulate reality through mathematical formula based on levels of consciousness, let's say. Oh, uh, really? Okay. And so, so there's a lot of, and this is, he's getting massive funding from like scientific institutes. This isn't like a woo woo new age thing. This, these are, these are real university types that are talking about this and asking, asking all these questions. And so if it's, so it's a great moment because you realize, no, that's what the fathers, that's what St. Maximus is talking about. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. these are the things that, he, that's what Logos is referring to. It's like referring to the manner in which intelligence participates in the way the world lays itself right. out and how yeah. the human person as the the being with logos is a laboratory for things to join within him you know and so it's like we and so there is no world without man or right. at least it's it, it you can't conceive of it it's just right. potentiality or it's just like a quantum field or whatever you want to call it and so all of this is like it's happening now all these people are asking these types of questions and i'm seeing papers come out recently more and more of even People talking about St. Maximus or St. Dion Dionysus, the Areopagite, mm -hmm. and saying, mm -hmm. this is actually very relevant right now because and of the questions scientific. asked in science. Weirdly yes. scientific, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's intertwined with the with the rational theories. The, the, theor the theorists are finding that it's already been said. Exactly. You know, and it's super interesting. Hey, end the show with me. I got to ask you to take our lightometer test on the way out. Will you do this with me? Sure, sure. So this happened, this is the fifth episode. If you guys want to go back and check it out, you'll know what we're doing. But I got a lot of feedback early on. Like, what? I don't know what you're talking about when you say new world. Because people are in it. It's very hard to define what it is when you're in it. And I said, well, it's sort of a type of being and thinking, yada, yada, yada. And I said, okay, I'm going to create a test, an exam that gives you a score that tells you where you are <laughs> on the new world, old world. And I, you know... And, I got it from MIT. We we collaborated. That's not true. This is a series of dumb questions that are supposed to be fun. Let me ask you. Is that cool? All right. All right. Go for it. So you're going to answer three, two, one. 
three three is yes a fully 100 percent. you know gut feeling yes i agree two is uh something like maybe sounds good but and one is that i'm pretty much sure that's not true zero is a total rejection three top end zero total rejection two probably true one not probably true we cool all three, right two one zero then we're going to add it up, and then it's going to be science, Jonathan. That's right. Let's see. It's going to happen. So here we go. When you die, question one, when you die, you really probably won't die all the way. You'll be something like asleep. Three? Oh, yeah. Two? Probably one. Probably not. Say, I would say one. One. Okay, one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to record your scores because... Otherwise, we'll forget. Okay, so one. Jonathan Pajot is answering a one. The best way to get to know me, question two, is to ask someone else about me. I would say one again. One. Best way to know Jonathan is to ask someone one. The, when I carry a picture of my friend or my a parent or... Some image of a person close to me, maybe in my wallet or I put it on my wall. The person is actually closer to me. They're they're close to me in a way that they're not when there's not a picture of them in the room. Three. I would two, say I would say two. Two. Okay. Excellent. Uh, respect, Jonathan. This is very scientific. Don't forget this. Respect isn't earned. It's owed to you by others. Sorry, it's owed to you, but sorry, it's owed by you to others. Respect isn't earned, it's owed by you to others. Okay, it's owed by me to others. To others. You don't earn, uh, someone doesn't walk in and earn it, you owe it to others. To others, respect. Yeah. Um, I would say, I would say uh, two. Two, two. So just real quick, we're one, one, two, two. Here's your last question. So what, what's your number right now? One, one, two, two, four, six. Here's your last question. Um, uh, you have kids and are your, are your parents still with us? Uh, yes. Okay. So uh, I hope, you, Jonathan, hope to and expect to take care of your parents and have them live on the premises with you as you get as they get deeply into old age you are hoping and this is a good thing to have them in your house say as they get older three two one zero. yeah i would say three three okay three so that goes one two three four five six nine would you like to know what you are on our walk <laughs> <Yeah>, sure <laughs> okay you are not the charlemagne that means you're full retro, you think old world style, big time, you drink from a goblet, there's a chance you own pre-Columbian handmade weapons of some sort. You are not the Charlemagne, that would be 15. You're not the villager, that's a really good chance you hate malls, you are welcome to places like Algeria. You're not a villager, Okay. but you are a suburban. Suburban? Very scientific, yes. Wow, you scored, what was your number again, Nine? I guess that's what it was. I wasn't counting. Yeah, 8 to 11. You feel romantic about the old world, Jonathan, but hierarchy is a word that you'd rather read about in a book. 
That's hilarious. It feels like you should want to obey your elders a lot more than you actually do. That's probably true, actually. <laughs> and the individual is not more important than the group, except, well, sometimes you feel more important than lots of dumb groups. That's right. Oh, man, that's actually pretty, that's pretty head on. It's actually pretty good because it's good because I know it's like, I know one of the reasons why I talk about some of this stuff is also because I'm trying to convince myself because I'm, I'm a very modern person and I have all the bad habits of the, of a modern person. And it's like, I struggle to be in communities, but I know that and it's like the, the times that I've successfully been in communities are, I've been very vivifying to me. But I do tend to, I do have that individualist pull. So that's actually probably pretty good. It's a, it's kind of damning, but it's pretty good. I scored a nine, just like you. Oh, wow. That's awesome. I, I thought I was going to be, my sister came in at like 15. She's the highest scoring of all times. And my brother was on this show and did it too. And he was, uh, he was the villager. He was a uh, pretty old school. <laughs> but that was cool. You took that with us. So now we yeah, have that's an, fine. Jonathan Pajot score. So brother, uh, Follow us, would you, and, and share this with your, your peeps, and uh, we'll do the same on this end. And keep going, man. Um, I do think you I find you to be doing, like I said, you're teaching us, and you're a type of missionary, so. Um, Thanks. And I've heard, like, I have so many people that have been just uh, saying wonderful things about the podcast and, you know, and the, the foundation. I think the type of work you're doing is the best kind of work in terms of international aid and helping others. It's just, it's the best way to do it. So I really appreciate to find Orthodox people working that way. I think yeah, man, I just people listening. I did not know Jonathan that you live that way. And I knew you went to Africa and that was going to be one of our subjects, but you, you, I don't know if you go read our, our website. If you get a chance, you were literally, were speaking the mission statement. It's kind of weird, actually. I don't think you were reading it, but no, it I don't think I read it. Yeah. But <laughs> it was beautiful, man. So uh, that's great. Uh, maybe that's where we're coming. We were having this uh, connection, but this connection. Yeah. yeah. All right, brother. So uh, thank you. Um, we'll talk to you again soon and uh, have a, have a, have a, have a really good day, man. And a good uh, week and welcome back into your house. Yeah. Thanks. I appreciate it. All right. All the best. Okay. Peace out. Bye. Shenis Gagimardros, that means to you the victory, said at our KP table in Georgia. That's our pod for today. Thanks for coming along. I want to invite everybody right now to turn to a friend or turn inside to their own heart and ask themselves, wouldn't you like to come work for us? We have positions right now in Africa and in Guatemala, and we'd love to bring you to Appalachia as well. So overseas and at home, if you're interested in working for First Things, giving two years of your life, give us a call check the pod notes watar is produced by andrew shork and daniel paternos and our pod is brought to you by first things foundation we go we serve you love you click you like we work together to serve others and their vision for a beautiful life so share this podcast with your friends and thank you au revoir peace out